you can't have somebody learning on the job. You got to find someone that knows permitting and understands the power markets and can negotiate PPAs. You know, you have to go and find someone that has been there and done that. And at the same time, there's 15 other companies that are trying to find that same person. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangen, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. The podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar developer and consulting firm. Our website is www.reneuenergy.com. I'm excited in this episode of the podcast to interview John Semington. He's the managing partner of Peak Demand, and he's been in the recruiting industry for renewable energy for 14 years. Peak Demand is a talent access firm that connects top companies in the renewable energy space with the talent that they need to grow. The individuals they've placed have delivered over 10 gigawatts of installed generation to their clients, billions of dollars of clean renewable energy impacting the bottom line for their clients and enough renewable energy to power 10 million homes. Peak Demand works in solar, energy storage, EV, and related markets from the sea level to individual contributors driving the renewable energy revolution. It's part of the MRI network. I'm excited to have John on the podcast. I've been wanting to have him for a while. You know, we actually haven't talked to about renewable energy jobs with the recruiter. And he has 14 years of experience as one of the top players in the space. And you'll see from the interview, his knowledge about what's happening to the sector is unparalleled, both from a job perspective and hiring perspective, as well as industry trends as well, due to his close relationships with many people in the industry. There's a lot of amazing things, as I said, that he talked about. Some of them are renewable energy job outlook going forward, how hiring was impacted by COVID. If you're someone who's looking to transition to renewable energy, what you should do, and also renewable energy trends that he's seeing, not necessarily hiring trends. And I thought that was like a very interesting perspective that he provided on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Solar Maverick podcast. Thank you for listening. Let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm excited to interview John Semington. He's the managing partner at Peak Demand. Welcome to the podcast, John. Hey, thanks, Benoit. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to talk to you about recruiting and job trends that you're seeing in solar and renewable energy. And I think you could bring a lot of great insights. And it's an exciting time, as you know, in the renewable energy sector. What would be great is if you could talk more about peak demand. We talked a little bit about it in the beginning of the podcast, but it would be helpful to get it learned from your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. As we just talked about a few minutes ago, behind the scenes, I was trying to remember how long ago it was that you and I connected. I think it's been probably eight years back or so, maybe a little bit longer. I don't know. But again, thank you so much for inviting me on here. So peak demand, we're an executive search and talent acquisition firm focused exclusively in at renewable energy. Energy. So we've spent the last you know 12 plus years now working specifically with renewable energy developers, manufacturers, EPCs across solar energy storage, EV charging, battery manufacturing, really helping companies in this area attract and hire some of the best talent in the industry. That's a great summary. And it's amazing like how nine years like flies by. And I remember when we first met, and I've always been impressed, you know, by our interactions and as well as your network within the industry and as well as companies that I've talked to and candidates who've highly recommended you. So it's just amazing to see how time flies by. And it would be interesting, actually, to get your perspective of how does peak demand differentiate from other recruiting firms? 
First, I really appreciate you saying that. I don't know that what we do is magic, but a big part of why we've been successful, I think, is our ability to build relationships with folks. We've been in the space for a very long time. Like I said, it's been 10, 12 years. In fact, it was way back when Chevron Energy Solutions was trying to build their $100 million solar development arm out on the West Coast, which I think a lot of people accuse them of greenwashing, which it probably was in some ways. But you know, it was way back in like 2007, 2008 when that started happening that they asked us to help find some salespeople that could sell into the public sector. So we've really gotten pretty deep in the industry, trying to be very, very knowledgeable and kind of students of the business. It's not just about, you know, can we recruit and find somebody that has XYBZ background? It's really about understanding the dynamics in the market and why is a specific opportunity the right fit for somebody or from what organizations that might be struggling or where can we find someone that might have the background background our clients are looking for that would find this particular role and opportunity attractive. For us, it's really taken what we call candidate-centric approach of making sure that we understand people's motivations, are really aligning them with the opportunities that make sense for them. And you know, when you treat people right and you have their best interest at heart, they tend to remember that. And that's how you build relationships and trust. That's really kind of summarizing in a great way all about being in relationships and that trust and doing what's best for them, which then becomes scalable, right? And then I'm sure you get a lot of referrals from your you know, client base and it's a lot easier of a sale, right? When a client putting in a good word for you and that really helps scale the business as well. So that's interesting. There's no doubt that we get a lot of long-term clients, what we call clients, but organizations that we work with. We certainly have long-term relationships with you know people in the industry as well. In a perfect world, if we place somebody with one of our organizations, hopefully they're not calling us for many, many years until you know they're ready to make a move or something else happens. But it's all about people and relationships in this business. Definitely. That's the key point. And you know, any job, it's about the people and the quality of the people and to find that right candidate. So that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure it's an exciting time with the growth of renewable energy and potentially like the new administrations, for example, and their goals for renewable energy. I think I was reading somewhere where they were talking about that solar jobs would have to increase or renewable energy jobs by four times the current amount to get to the goals that the administration has. Can you talk about like what you've been seeing since, I guess, January? how maybe the renewable energy industry has changed since before that? Or it would be great to get your perspective because I think you have a unique perspective into that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I had not heard a number that high. What I remember reading recently was that we were going to have to add like 50 to 60,000 people. But, you know, honestly, to install the amount of renewable energy, solar storage, and I guess that's not even really counting the EV infrastructure side and some of the other areas, we're going to need to add a lot of people. There's absolutely no doubt. It would not surprise me at all to see the number of people employed across the sector double or triple in the next couple of years. So to answer your question about how has it changed since January, I would almost say rewind it a little bit further because we really started seeing the increase around September, October is when we saw things starting to pick up. You know, during the pandemic, when the stuff kind of shut down, when we started seeing things open back up, my messaging to the companies we work with was, I understand maybe things are a little slow right now, but it's going to absolutely explode. And if you know you're going to need to hire people, right now you have an opportunity when maybe things are a little bit slower to go grab really great people. If you wait four to six months, it's going to get much, much harder. And 
that's absolutely what's happened. I would say starting September, October, fourth quarter, we started seeing a pretty steady increase in hiring across the board. And since the first of the year, it's just been absolutely nuts, frankly. The amount of hiring across the sector, it doesn't really seem to matter what role or function. It's really all across the board. There is just so much activity. It's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. That was a great summary. And what's your outlook for like the rest of the year of 2021? I know we're in the second quarter already. Do you think it's going to continue at the same pace as the first quarter? I'm hesitant because every time I say something like, I think the industry has smooth sailings for the next 18 months, we get hit with something really, really weird on the solar coaster, as you know. So, you know, I don't want to try to project too far ahead. But the reality is that the fundamentals of the industry are sound. Renewable energy is cost competitive or cheaper than traditional generation and markets all over the country. And while I think there are some individual market dynamics, like the attack on net metering happening in California right now, you know, we've got battles to fight. And there are certainly some hurdles in the way they're going to pop up. But overall, I don't see anything that's going to slow down the growth in the space. And while I don't necessarily think that hiring will remain at this pace forever, I don't see anything that's going to be a significant slowdown in the next you know, 18 to 24 months in my mind. Yeah, definitely. It's still interesting to get your perspective on it because as you said, you never know what could happen in the solar roller coaster. That's a good point. I feel like, hey, we got 18 months of runway. We get hit with a tariff agreement or module undersupply or, you know, there's always something. In fact, I was talking to a very good friend of mine on the tracker side this morning who was talking to me about all of the issues going on with logistics that I wasn't really aware of and that we've got shipping containers that can't get unloaded. And, you know, that the, apparently the price of shipping containers went from about 2000 dollars in December and January, now to $12,000 a container to try to get anything shipped. And so we're seeing a lot of issues getting stuff delivered. So anyway, there's never a lack of challenges in our industry. That's a really great point. And we've seen across the board with COVID that prices of everything, not just in the solar industry, have increased. And, you know, obviously like panel prices have increased. The cost of steel, which impacts, you know, solar project has increased as well. So it's interesting, as you say, and we'll see, you know, what happens going forward. But hopefully there's some sort of normalization of pricing with the economy opening up. But we'll see. The second order effects that happen because of the whole COVID situation, and I know everyone's tired of talking about COVID, but you wouldn't think that, you know, supply chains and logistics a year later would still be getting impacted by some of this or that the price of shipping containers would be so high. There's just so many things that happen downstream that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point. And I appreciate you explaining that. How you responded to one of the questions was very interesting for me because you talked about how like when things were slow that you were talking to your clients that they should start hiring because things are going to get really busy. It's interesting because just knowing a lot of candidates out there in the market, they were just telling me how things have really changed very dramatically with the demand for positions. And it must be challenging, I would think, for certain roles, for example, like project developer or certain sales roles or engineering to find a good candidate. And how are you able to assist your clients, which are companies, recruit? to basically make sure that they could get that candidate that they want. It's always a struggle. Yeah. And I mean, the reality is that the hiring market is horribly inefficient. I guess if it was really efficient and worked well, I wouldn't have a job. So I'm kind of glad in some ways that it's inefficient. But the labor market is almost never perfectly balanced. Either you've got high unemployment and way more people on the market than there are jobs for, or you've got more jobs than there are people. But it's hard. And especially in our industry where so many of these companies 
companies are kind of small to medium sized companies. And we are starting to see some, you know, really big publicly traded firms in the market now. But I still think that the majority of the industry are smaller organizations. And smaller companies don't always have the ability to hire junior people or folks that are inexperienced. When you need a utility scale developer to focus on a pipeline of projects in ERCOT, you can't have somebody learning on the job. You got to find someone that knows permitting and understands the power markets and can negotiate PPAs. You know, you have to go and find someone that has been there and done that. And at the same time, there's 15 other companies that are trying to find that same person. So some companies really struggle with being able to articulate why should you work here instead of over there? You know, what's the growth look like? What is our compensation structure and why is it better than other companies? And I don't have like a great way to say it, but we end up turning down a lot of opportunities. And I wish that we could help every company find every person they need. But sometimes we get in and we realize what you're expecting to find in the market given your positioning and kind of your employer brand, as well as maybe what you're willing to pay, they're just misaligned. Your expectations aren't realistic in the market. And I don't want to overpromise that I can deliver this and then ultimately fail and not be able to bring you the person. So we'll let you know if we come across somebody that fits this, but I can't take this on as a dedicated project. And you know, some companies don't like hearing that. Other times they'll come back and say, hey, we totally get it. Thanks so much for explaining to us where we're off the mark. That's why we've been struggling with this for six, nine months. Where do we need to adjust? And you know, some organizations really get it and others really don't. And the market is changing. I think some people like to think that people are becoming entitled. I think the reality is, is that people have options and companies that understand that and really work to attract the kind of people that they need are going to be the best position to win. Because the reality is there is so much going on in this space that everybody needs to get the best... <laughs> <laughs> the most talented teams win, right? It just is what it is. You've got to get the best, most talented people in your organization, figure out what it takes to attract them and build your team because it's this market is not slowing down and it's not going to get any less competitive. Yeah, there's so many great points that you mentioned in that. And you know what I think is interesting that you said? It's uh, setting expectations and being transparent with potential clients, even if you're not able to meet their expectations. And that's huge because they could see that you know, you're know you just telling them like it is and maybe other firms are not doing that and promising them you know something that they know that can't be achieved. So, And obviously, it saves you time as well, right? Nobody's happy if you go spend three months on a search and you're not successful and you can't find the people they're looking for. That's just not fun for anybody. Oh, I'm sure. I can't even imagine that. And especially for candidates that you know, you've know you tried to position. Because at the end of the day, we have to go to the market and try to recruit people that are experienced. And most of them have a day job and they didn't call us asking for us to try to find them a job, right? We're interrupting their day. They're high performers in their organizations and we're trying to attract them over. And so if we kind of set an expectation that, hey, this opportunity here is amazing and you can't live without this company. And then they go talk to them for 20 minutes and say, John, what did you even do this to me for? What a waste of my time. They're not going to be responsive the next time we call them. And it's just not a, the right way to operate. Yeah, that's great to explain as well from the candidate perspective, how they would perceive that. And obviously, you want them 
to be interested and engaged and make sure that you bring opportunities, not just that what your client's looking for, but what they're looking for as well, because it has to be win-win for both parties for anything to get done. So It's interesting because I'm sure like a lot of people are reaching out to you. They might not be in the renewable energy profession, but they want to get into it. How do you suggest people break into the renewable energy industry or solar energy? It's a great question. And we do get asked a lot. In fact, I would say that when you ask me what's changed in the last couple of months since January, in January and February, we were getting so many requests. I mean, more than I've ever had of people trying to get into the industry. I made a video and we wrote some other content on some suggestions to try to break into the industry because unfortunately, as as recruiters, most of the time organizations are hiring us to go and find someone who's got that experience already. So we're not naturally a great fit to help people transition into the industry. So it really depends a little bit on the function and what you're trying to do. I have seen a lot of people come up, at least from like a project management, engineering, installer perspective, finding organizations like Grid Alternatives and you know going and volunteering and building some solar and meeting people along the way. And I've seen a lot of people enter from that side. Getting NAPSEP certified certainly helps as well if you're going to go that route. You know, if you're earlier in your career and you really want to get into project development or project finance and you're just finishing business school, I see a lot of folks that are interning at companies like Apex and other places that, you know, they shift in that way. Of course, that helps a lot if you're, you know, young and just graduating business school and happen to get into an internship like that. If that's not where you're coming from, my biggest suggestion is just to network. It's been very hard over the last 12 months because it's not like you could go to SPI or InterSolar or a California Solar Association meeting. But you know, now that things are starting to open back up, I would find your local chapters of SIA or you know, CALSA out here, start getting engaged, just start building networks with people as much as you can. And then what I tell everybody, when you're actually applying to a job, it is so hard to cut through the noise and the kind of black hole of sending your resume online through LinkedIn or you know, wherever else it may be. And you don't want to be a pest, but if you can figure out either here's the recruiter or the HR person that posted it, or it's a a sales job, probably reports to the VP of sales. If you can figure out who that person is, reach out, send them a note, why you're looking for the move, what makes you qualified, where your skill sets are transferable. But you also have to be realistic. You know, it can be very tough if you've spent your entire career in sales to go jump into an engineering job in a brand new industry. But work your network, build relationships with people, and don't be afraid to follow follow up on those applications. This episode of the Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Podcast Laundry, the podcast concierge service that I use to make sure that my listeners hear the best quality show. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up time to do more of what you'd love to do, like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones, go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347 8273. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Thank you. That's all great advice and I appreciate you sharing it, John. I know you mentioned this actually a little bit before, but it sounded like the first engagement that you worked in renewables was in 2000 or 2008 with Twitch Shell. Is that what got you interested in renewables? Because now you're primarily focused on renewables. You don't work on other things. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. 
And it was actually uh, Chevron Energy Solutions. Oh, and so back in the ancient history, we did a lot of work in um, power and gas marketing. So primarily for retail energy companies and deregulated markets, as well as energy efficiency. So we did a lot of work with ESCOs like Siemens, Johnson Controls, and at the time Chevron. And so it was Chevron that had asked us to help find a couple of West Coast distributed generation business development folks that could you know, help them add solar to schools and kind of bolt it onto the existing energy services work that they were doing. Really, I just fell in love with the industry. And it was really small. I was fascinated with all the technology. And this was back when, you know, I think a module was like five or six dollars a watt for a shot module out of Roseville. Yeah. And I wasn't necessarily convinced that we were ever going to get to the point where modules were 45, 50 cents a watt. But I loved people. Everybody I talked with was just awesome. There was so much growth. And then I ended up going to the first SPI, which that I went to at least was in 2008, I think, down in San Diego at the convention center. As soon as I walked through that hall, I was there for a day and a half, I think, and I was just hooked. So shortly thereafter, we pretty much moved away from all of the legacy stuff that we were doing and been focusing in renewable energy ever since. Yeah, that's an amazing story to hear. And if you think about it, I mean, you're like some of the first people to be, you know, there's not many people with 12 to 13 years experience, I'm sure recruiting in exclusively renewables. And it shows based on like your knowledge of, you know, what's happening in the sector. So that's pretty impressive. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's been a long time and it's been just so much fun to watch the trends and watch how some of them kind of repeat themselves, right? You know, the race to the bottom of the module market, CSP, and some of the other CPV technologies not really working out from a cost perspective. And now we're seeing some of that happening in the battery storage side where lithium-ion prices are just dropping so fast. But there are some fascinating companies we're working with on the battery storage side that are bringing some non-lithium alternatives to the market. And I think that's just so incredibly important that we have some products that have a better supply chain and eliminate some of the rare earth metals concerns. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, I just I love everything about this space. No, but that's such a great point that it's going to be other technologies outside of lithium-ion for energy storage that might be better over the long term than lithium-ion. Obviously, lithium-ion prices have gone dramatically, but you know, I'm sure we're going to see all these other energy storage technologies as well. The prices go down as more production. Of Absolutely, it. you see, but like we saw with solar, are continuing to see with solar. I was just going to say, I continue to be blown away with the size of the factories for module capacity now. You know, 10 gigawatt manufacturing facilities for some of these module super league companies. Back when I started doing this, I don't even think anybody dreamed of that. That's a great point as well, like how big these factories are. Then, you know, obviously Tesla with their gigafactories, and it's all over, you know, obviously in the US and in other countries. And then even the module wattages as well. You know, people are talking, I was on the call today about 520 watt panels being used in Australia. And I'm like, that just amazes me, like how the technology is just improving, not just the cost going down. Absolutely. It's interesting because we are talking about energy storage and obviously you're working in all renewables. It sounds like there's a lot of demand for your clients hiring in energy storage. Can you talk about like the growth that you're seeing from a jobs perspective in energy storage? Yeah, absolutely. We've been kind of in the storage space for a very long time. I have to go back and look, but I think it was 2014, 2015 when we really started touching the first couple of storage companies that we were talking with. And over the years, that market has just exploded from being, you know, what it all, not to diminish it, but kind of a science project, right? It was so expensive. 
expensive. Nobody was doing it at scale at all to, you know, some niche applications here and there, and especially on the residential side for high earners, really, right? And then now, if any solar company is only doing solar, if they're not adding storage to their product list at all, you're so far behind the game. And we're not far away from literally every project being solar plus storage. So the market's just exploded. We're seeing hiring across almost every spot in the market, especially there's a ton of demand for just folks that can help organizations figure out how to integrate a storage offering. Some companies that we work with are really needing help from like an engineering perspective. Literally, how do we size batteries? How do we put together a system? Because it's not like you can... Most companies can't just go buy a two megawatt energy storage system off the shelf. It has to be really designed and engineered. It takes a ton of institutional knowledge to be able to do that. Other companies are looking for folks that understand how to structure the financial side of it. And it's an area you probably have a lot more detailed knowledge of than I do. But you know, even just structuring the transaction and how do you price it and literally in almost every segment of that market, we're seeing some sort of demand. So literally everywhere, whether it's engineering, project management, sales, business development, the market again is growing so fast that there's more people than you would think that have experience doing this now because it's starting to happen at scale so quickly. But still in relation to how many organizations need folks that have experience in energy storage. We just don't have enough. Yeah, that's a great answer, John. I'm sure there's not enough qualified people. As you mentioned, it's just so new to the industry and it's going to grow so quickly. As you said, it's already grown a lot from 2015 to 16 to 21. But even three to four years from now, the growth is going to be a lot more exponential as it becomes more economic and as prices keep going down. And then as more states are implementing incentive programs, and if there's also you know standalone investment tax credit, and all, there's just so many different variables that are favorable for energy storage in the future. So that's a really interesting perspective. I guess what technologies are you seeing like the most popular for renewables? You talked a little bit about energy storage. What are you kind of seeing in the market as the most popular sort of technologies that people or companies are incorporating? That's an interesting question. Obviously, energy storage is probably the newest, prettiest girl at the dance in terms of energy technologies. Everybody's talking about it and is trying to integrate it. But even when you kind of dive down deeper into storage, as we talked about just a moment ago, I think that lithium ion has been the predominant technology. I just love some of the non-lithium ion technologies that are out there. And there's a couple of companies that I think are doing amazing things. Salient Energy is building a zinc-based battery, and I'm fascinated by what they're doing. And the other thing that's been very interesting to me is watching the software space and seeing how much innovation is happening in software within the market, both from an internal kind of software perspective. There's a couple of major companies that we're talking to that are trying to streamline everything from permitting to proposal generation and build an all-in-one software to expedite their sales process. And even if it's just internal and doesn't go out to other customers, figuring out how to use software across the solar and you know storage renewable value chain to remove friction and increase sales output, ultimately reduce costs is enormous. We're seeing a lot of interesting stuff on the AI and machine learning when it comes to O&M and asset management. We're just seeing a lot of innovation all across the market. And at the end of the day, it's how do we drive more renewables, solar storage, to more people, reduce costs, reduce friction, and just make it easier for the market. And I just see it happening in so many ways. But to your point earlier, whether it's higher wattage panels, I'm starting to see some... I don't know, there was a picture that... And I can't remember which the developer it was, but these beautiful beautiful, sleek little central inverters coming out of EPC power. There's just so much happening out there. It's hard to keep track of all of it. 
Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, everything's changing so quickly and I can't keep track of all the innovation because people are always asking me about different innovation. And it's just amazing if you think about from a sector, like how much innovation is happening. And it's almost, as you said, impossible to keep track of all of it. I know we talked about some trends in solar and you mentioned about, you know, higher wattage of panels, how big the factories are. Is there other trends that you're seeing in the solar industry from your perspective? That's a really good question. What other trends are we seeing? Historically, when I look at our business, it's kind of moved in cycles. In the first kind of cycle, you know, I mentioned modules were insanely expensive, but we did a ton of work with module manufacturers. And then it was all the inverter manufacturers were growing. And then it was CNI development was growing. And then utility scale development. And it just seemed like there were these cycles that the industry was kind of following. And now it appears that the biggest boom that we're seeing out in the market is on the utility scale side. I mean, there is so much growth across the utility segment of the market. It's just astounding. The general CNI market, at least in California, it's still a vibrant market, but it's just challenging and it has always been a really difficult market to scale, as you know. Yes. But the residential market's growing like crazy. I mean, it's just so interesting to see. The other segment that I really like seeing finally kind of grow into its own is community solar. I mean, for years and years, community solar had a lot of promise, but wasn't really moving a lot. And the amount of community solar that we're seeing getting installed and in, in some of the companies, US Solar and Summit Ridge and Forefront, and there's a bunch of them that are out there in, in that market that are growing dramatically. And I love that space as well. Yeah, I agree with everything you said in community solar at the end as well. It's amazing how quickly it has grown in the past like two or three years with the concept that everyone was talking for a while and then it just seems to flourish, which is interesting. It's still harder than it should be, though. I mean, really, the subscriber management piece, and I realize that it's the financiers and perceived risk and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, if you've got an asset that's generating power and one subscriber falls off and you're delivering them power cheaper than their utility, it should just be so easy in my mind to flip one in and drop another one out. And I just I love the model. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you as well. It's interesting because like, I've been talking to financiers for years about that. And it seems like only in the past year or two, like you're seeing a lot more financiers being comfortable with that, which is interesting. You would think it's just pretty easy to know. But when you're so used to like 20-year PPAs with one off-taker, it's an adjustment. It's a different mindset for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess while you mentioned trends, it would be remiss to not you know mention all of the SPACs and publicly traded companies and all of the cash flying into the sector. I mean, to see companies like Shoals and FTC Solar and STEM and you know so many of these companies going public, it's just amazing to see that much cash flying into our market and to see some of these companies you know get some liquidity events and it's just exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. That's actually a great point. All through the value chain, how many companies are going public in the sector, which is pretty interesting. I'm really excited about that. And I was going to ask you as well, this is a little bit of a different question, but I thought it was interesting. Like, How would you recommend candidates get a high-paying renewable energy job? Oh, that's a good question. And there's no like secret sauce to getting a really high paying job. I think my advice for anybody is to become indispensable to the best of your ability within your organization. Hopefully you're in a company where you have some sponsorship from leadership where people are, you know, invested in your career and your growth and you're in that kind of a positive environment where you know you're trending in the right direction and you're adding value and you're getting solid feedback. If you're not in that environment, I would recommend do everything in you can to find an environment like that. And if you're in that kind of an environment 
And whatever your function or your role is, you're killing it to the best of your ability. The money should come. And if your current organization is not valuing what you bring to the table appropriately, then you know it might be time to start exploring other options. What I do find from time to time, everybody thinks they're undervalued. Everybody wants more money. And no, I get it. Sometimes people genuinely are. But I think you also have to be realistic with yourself and you know take an evaluation of the market and just make sure that you're not being unrealistic in what you're looking for. But you know the jobs in solar, renewables in general, they pay well. I mean, there's a lot of very good jobs. It may not be the highest paying segment of the market. They're certainly not working for Facebook or Google in most points. But overall, there are a lot of great high-paying jobs in this space. Yeah, definitely. That is great advice. And it's interesting because like, I actually saw you do a video about this. And one of the things that I've liked, the content that you're creating and you're sharing with the industry, can you talk about the videos that you create and what made you create them and how it works and how you come up with the different ideas to talk about? Because I do think it adds value to the renewable energy space. So I appreciate you putting it out there. I really and genuinely appreciate you saying that very much. It is weird and kind of awkward, and it's not the most comfortable thing for me to make those videos. We actually started doing some of that stuff years ago, and I actually had to like go purge our company YouTube account because some of the stuff was so cringeworthy. It just had to go away. But the recruiting business in our industry has always been kind of a one-to-one business. You pick up the phone, you call somebody, you send them an email. And we found that we were getting a lot of the same kind of questions from people all the time. Like, how do I get into renewable energy? Or what are some resume tips you have? Or whatever it may be. And so started trying to make some of these videos just to try to impart information out to folks. And hopefully it's valuable. Sometimes you're making stuff and you're not sure how well it's going to resonate with people. At times, it can be challenging to come up with, hey, what's something else to talk about that isn't just me learning something out that nobody cares about, right? So it can be challenging, but then I'll get off the phone with somebody who asked me a really good question, or it'll be a conversation where I think that was really insightful, or you just see something happening in a deal that we're involved in and say, you know what, somebody else might find this interesting. So we put it together. You know, again, it's it's something that we're trying to do a little bit more of, in fact, and hopefully we're going to start talking more about trends in the industry and some of the things that's going on as opposed to just general interview and recruiting tips. But yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for explaining. And it'll be interesting to see you know, your videos as you create more content. And if the audience is interested in seeing it, it's on the Peak Demand website. And John posts on LinkedIn as well, which we'll have like on the notes of the podcast, the link to the Peak Demand and your LinkedIn profile. What's the best way for our audience to learn more about Peak Demand or potentially as well to learn about you? Our website is just... Well, there's a couple of ways to find it, but it's in as an IN in peakdemand.com. So you can find us there. We've got video libraries, some additional content about you know hiring tips for organizations that want to improve their process, as well as information for folks that might be looking for jobs and looking for some tips on the process resumes, whatever it may be. You can track me down on LinkedIn. It's just John Summingston, or if you literally, it's like LinkedIn Solar Recruiter, I think is my tagline. So if you type in Solar Recruiter, you'll probably find me pretty quickly. And then my email address is just J-O-N at NPDemand. Yeah, and this has been an amazing podcast, John. I really appreciate you sharing, you know, your business and trends you're seeing and insights. I think it's really helpful for our audience. So thank you again, John, for being on the podcast. Well, thank you again for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Oh, anytime. 
Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U-Energy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown.